Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yale Journal of Biology and Medicine podcast. YJBM is a PubMed-indexed quarterly journal edited by Yale medical, graduate, and professional students and peer-reviewed by experts in the fields of biology and medicine. Each issue of the journal is devoted to a focus topic, and in this series, um, we'll be doing a special episode to highlight the long history of YJBM over the last 90 years. Um, my name, I'm your host, Neil Ravindra, a fifth-year graduate student in the Molecular Biophysics and Biochemistry Department at Yale and the outgoing managing editor of YJBM. And I'm your co-host, Helen Balenson, a fifth-year PhD candidate in the Immunobiology Department and the outgoing editor-in-chief of YJBM. With us today is Professor Jeffrey Bender, the Robert I. Levy Professor of Medicine and Professor of Immunobiology, the Associate Chief of Cardiovascular Medicine and Internal Medicine, and the Director of the Yale Cardiovascular Research Center. Jeff has been the faculty advisor of YJBM since 2007. And with us in the studio is also Dean Richard Belitsky, the Harold W. Jockers Associate Professor of Medical Education and an Associate Professor of Psychiatry and the Deputy Dean of uh, for Education. Excuse me. Um, Dr. Belitsky has overseen YJBM since actually, when did, when did you start um, overseeing YJBM, Dr. Belitsky? Um, when I first became Deputy Dean for Education, which was 14 years ago. Wow. Okay. Um, excellent. And uh, so, yeah, with that, why don't we get started and just have uh, tell us a bit more about yourselves and how you're connected to YJBM. Uh, Jeff, how did you come on board? I, um, I've i been at Yale uh, Medical School a long time. Um, you've, you've heard some of my titles, and I've been uh, interacting with uh, medical and graduate students for, for many years. Important to note that not the entire 90 years of the life of the journal, but <laughs> probably more like 30 years. In 2006, Herb Chase, who was the outgoing associate dean for uh, medical education for ed- education, approached me with a concern about the Yale Journal, saying that it had been in existence for 75 years or so. And uh, he was concerned that the quality of the journal was waning, the contents were perhaps not what we intended, and asked if I would get involved in the journal as a faculty, in a faculty advisory type position. I agreed, started attending um, monthly editorial board meetings, uh, run of course by the student editors, interacting with those editors, and over a fairly short period of time became, uh, I suppose, initially a de facto, but then essentially a a true advisor to the Yale Journal, uh, which has been very rewarding for me um, to see what the students have done with and to the journal and just to work with very bright and talented uh, students over the years. Yeah, so you mentioned um, that Herb Chase kind of came to you at a time when the journal was struggling a bit. Um, what what do you think happened there? Like, how is it is is a is a student run journal always at risk for uh, longevity? That's a that's a good question. Uh, it it can be. It depends on uh, the direction, the insight, the creativity. Um, as with everything, uh, a journal has to change with the times, and, and it, it really hadn't been. And I can't put my finger on exactly why that was the case, but the journal for years had been a home for 
medical student thesis abstracts and original science that drifted towards international, mostly infectious disease-related clinical science of what I would feel is the not is not the highest quality. Uh, and uh, there was a lot of that in the journal, and it was really a potpourri. It was fairly miscellaneous in contact and content. Uh, and and so there was a an inflection point where the students together with a, maybe a little bit of uh, advice um, started reorganizing the journal. I think, Neil, without that time out, if you will, time out, let's look at this, let's uh, consider where we are and where we're going, um, I think a student or any journal would be in jeopardy of uh, lowering its quality and perhaps disappearing over time. It, it seems like, and maybe Dean Blitzky, you can speak to this as well, um, that the, I mean, the Yale School of Medicine is a bastion that no one expects to have an end date, um, a large institution. Is there some sense that uh, the permanency of the Yale School of Medicine is also committed to the permanency of um, YJBM? Yeah, actually, I can't imagine anybody who's either the dean of the medical school or in my position uh, who wouldn't support this effort. So um, I don't think about this journal as having an endpoint. I think about it in terms of currently what does the journal need in order to succeed, and then what can I do in my role in the medical school to support its success. So obviously the, the Yale School of Medicine encompasses not just medical students, but also Neil and I are PhD students and master's students. And for all of those levels of education, we kind of, I feel like we all get different, we have different needs in terms of students. And what do you guys see the journal as offering to students? Obviously there's um, different things for for different people. For medical students, it offers a unique educational opportunity in thinking about quality of science, reviewing science, writing science, uh, and the way the journal has evolved, and, and we can talk about that more with a focus theme to be creative about themes in biology and in medicine. Medical students can sometimes provide um, different perspectives with regard to uh, their education and experience in, in medicine. Um, this is unique for them. I would say that for those medical students who enter the field of academia, which is a very significant percentage of our medical students, many of them will have a career that involves scientific writing and reviewing and publishing. So this is really a unique opportunity for them. Graduate students, um, some have a different perspective. Some, I would say, it's identical. It's an opportunity to learn about writing, reviewing, uh, constructing a paper, publishing, and how that will translate to their academic careers in the future when, if and when they take those. The other thing that's happened, which is, uh, I think, exciting, is that graduate students, much more than medical students, um, do sometimes look at scientific publishing as a career opportunity. 
that that's I would say relatively new as a prominent um, opportunity and vision in the past ten to fifteen years, and so we see student editors now who are really focused on learning the tools of the trade of scientific publishing, again, as a unique opportunity that's not available to graduate students in other uh, schools in, in the U.S. And, and how about to, to Yale as, a, as an institution in the Yale School, School of Medicine? What do you see as the value of the, of the journal there? There, there are many, many um, uh, advantages to the, the school to have such a journal. One is there's a, a, at least a small reputation piece that goes into the pride in having a student-run high-quality journal for 90 years. Um, Yale is unique in that regard. Um, the other is that there are frequent opportunities for student editors and student writers to interact with prominent Yale faculty that might be created by this journal and might not have occurred otherwise, which includes the colloquium that's developed that, that you or, or Helen can, can, can talk very nicely about. Um, and, and, and thirdly, um, the way the journal has developed in terms of its quality and, again, creativity, it's a forum for authorship for the journal that um, people who are leaders in the field or people who are up and coming in a given field can have a local that then becomes national and international, internationally visible place to talk to student editors and, and write um, some of their, in particular, their perspectives and editorial views. And how about um, for, because each of you um, got associated with the journal by your own volition, what was kind of, what, what personally motivates you to, to continue to participate with YJBM? I mean, maybe each of you can answer. <laughs> uh, well, one important part <clears throat> is it's my job to do this. <laughs> <clears throat> but it actually is... Um, one of the nicest and favorite parts of my job. So um, let me put it this way to you. Anything that's a benefit to our students is a benefit to our school. So my job is to try to support those activities which allow our students to have special educational experiences that are linked to what's most important to them about the development of their career. So um, for this journal in particular, it's along the lines of what Jeff was saying, what are the educational experiences that our students often want when they come to Yale? <clears throat> Opportunities to learn about scientific writing, a chance to see how a journal's edited and published, opportunity to meet and act, interact with extraordinary faculty and scientists and physicians in a whole variety of fields, an opportunity to work collaboratively together as a team to figure things out and to create some kind of product. These are all the kinds of experiences that, whether it's through the journal or other things, we like to uh, promote for our students. Uh, and then if you really think about beyond that, what makes this really important to the school, the journal is sort of an exemplar of 
um, the mission of the school. So the educational mission of the school, to educate and inspire scholars and future leaders who will advance the practice of medicine and the biomedical sciences. So our job as a school is to figure out how do you create an environment that allows us to educate and inspire people who are going to become these leaders and advance the field of medicine and science. So the journal helps us to meet the mission of the school. And then I'll just add, since you mentioned the history of the journal, if you think about the birth of the journal, the journal started 1920, late 1920s, 1928 or something, um, when Milton Winternitz was the dean and was thinking about what kind of medical school Yale should be. And he wanted to create a special kind of school with a graduate school kind of atmosphere in which physicians would be scholars. And there had been a thesis requirement in the school as well. So the journal became a vehicle for this special kind of experience, coupled with this Yale system of education, which said, we're going to create a flexible curriculum. We're going to give our students an opportunity to think about what's important to them in their careers. What are you passionate about? What do you really want to do? And then we're going to create room and guidance and mentorship to help them get there. So at the level of looking at this journal, what does it provide for the school and its students? Those kinds of opportunities that then each of you as students can turn into the kind of experience that's most important to you. What kind of science? What role in the journal? Who do you want to work with? What are you excited about? So to me, that's the value that it brings. So when people ask me, why does the school support the journal? I tell them some version of this. I, I would uh, comment that <clears throat> this is not part of my job description. So um, in that regard, it may be a little bit different. Um, if the students will have me, I'm not uh, intending to go anywhere anytime soon. Um, I, uh, I, I love working with students, seeing, uh, again, the bright and creative students who get involved with the journal and watch them develop. And uh, I'm very passionate about career development. Uh, there are so many directions, so many opportunities, so many facets of that that are important. And one of the things that I didn't mention um, with opportunities for students, both medical students and graduate students, is leadership opportunities at the journal. There are tremendous leadership opportunities for a student or a couple students or a few students working together to lead a group of their peers in a way that probably is not available to them in many other facets of their educational life. And Neil and Helen, you've both had leadership positions at the Journal. You've both been amazing leaders. I've stepped back and watched both of you develop as leaders. And this is something I love to see. And I welcome interacting with students in that capacity that as they develop their leadership skills and think carefully about how to guide their peers. That's something I didn't mention before. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I've been thinking kind of about um, 
why. So we've had a lot of other schools approach us asking, like, how do you start up a journal? We want to we want to try to do something like this. And I'm always sometimes a little bit surprised that there aren't other schools that have journals that have lasted as long as ours, except for is it Hopkins or Georgetown. I think it's Hopkins Hopkins, that had lasted 93 years, but we're almost there. And they stopped publishing. So, um, But I think it is this kind of, one, the Yale environment, but also uh, the fact that we have been around for so long and that we are able to adapt and that there are students coming in from completely different opposite sides of campus. And I think that's something that I valued a lot and has changed my idea of kind of how I want to look at medicine or biology and that we've published issues like organelle biology and medicine is coming up. And that is looking at organelles from the viewpoint of basic biochemistry all the way through clinical uh, manifestations of diseases and things like that. So I think it's such a really cool opportunity because uh, although it started, the journal started just as medical students, as graduate students have been brought in, it really has created this environment allowing both sides of campus to communicate as well as faculty members and students. And um, it's such a rich place. And every time I talk to alum about it, they're like, oh, we didn't know that you guys are doing even more than what we were doing. And it's really great to be in an environment that allows us to grow. So we'll see what happens when we turn 100. <laughs> we'll probably be <laughs> have our own building on campus. Just kidding. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, we should we should shout out to the um, the Georgetown medical students. They came to visit us to start their own journal. I forget the details of the name, but um, maybe we can provide an, an information in the yeah. In, Do we in know the if they started? I don't. Uh, I didn't follow up with them. Yeah, we, we should, should find we should out. Double check. We yeah. should find out. Yeah, that was it. Was a nice nice to to coordinate like leadership uh, hierarchies mm-hmm. and organizations. And there's a other. Uh, medical programs that have reached out to me about starting their own podcast too on campus. So I think it's a really cool to be leading in in that sense, um, especially because before YJBM, there was the Yale Medical Journal, which was started in the late 1800s. And that kind of, it was actually the first medical journal in Connecticut in the entire state. Um, and it was really a place for physicians to kind of discuss various clinical issues and things like that. Um, and then that faded out as students had more to do. So I think... As penicillin came into yeah. <laughs> into use. Yeah. But, you know, Hel- Helen, when I was listening to you talk, it, it's sort of an example of um, what I meant about the journal, which is people wouldn't have originally imagined that a great reason to have the Yale Journal of Biology and Medicine is that a student might want to do podcasts. So this idea that you you create an educational opportunity and then you do what's necessary to support students and then they take it to places that they want to based on what they're interested in or passionate about or where their careers are headed. And this to me is a great example that for you, a journal experience also turned into a podcast experience even though we didn't build it so that a student could do podcasts. And I, think, I imagine that's going to continue to happen around the journal depending on which students are involved. Yeah, I think this has really been in the last 10, 11, 12 years where the students, in particular the students running the journal at any point in time, fully understand now that they're given license and creative opportunity And when I meet with students when they first take over the journal, 
I talk to them a lot about what's your vision for leading the journal. And invariably with that question, the new editors-in-chief have ideas, have thoughts, have have new directions to, to bring the journal. And this has just been a fantastic success in terms of the new uh, directions in the past five, six, seven years. It's been phenomenal. And I think it's really become a reflection of the scientific, at least from, from what I've seen, it's been a really good reflection of how students are envisioning science and medicine at a given point in time, um, especially with the shift in, to focus topics. Uh, so we publish four times a year on a specific focus topic, um, and the focus topic is voted by the board. So it really becomes a reflection of what is the board that is students, what are students currently thinking is a critical thing to think about within biology, within medicine. Um, and I think also outside of the journal, uh, at least the podcast kind of stemmed from a bunch of us being podcast nerds, listening to podcasts and kind of writing up notes. I, I think Helen is <laughs> Helen is being modest here. It was, it was her idea. It was. Uh, it's mostly it me was. setting up so PCRs. So she's the biggest nerd as You're it the turns queen out. Nerd. Right. Yeah, I just set up a lot of PCRs and need something in my head so I can keep track. Um, but it was kind of like, and I think at that point, there five years ago now, I guess, there's a lot of podcasts were kind of really rolling into the scene. And I know now the editors-in-chief are really um, – Focusing on scientific communication and outreach as one focus for the journal as in a time where there is a lot of questions around science um, within kind of the public sphere. Uh, and it's a really cool reflection. Um, I think the journal really captures the times. Um, even when we, uh, I was putting together a historical exhibit of YJBM in collaboration with the Historical Medical Library here and with my colleagues Lisa Gawa McLean um, and Kate Woodruff, Woodford. Sorry, we can edit that. Kate Woodford. Uh, and we were looking at the science that we were publishing 90 years ago, 80 years ago, 70 years ago, and it really was just this snapshot of what people thought of their fields at a given time. And I think it, the fact that we're student-run kind of gives us a little bit of a leeway to kind of be a little bit less formal in a, in a sense with the science and being able to be like, look, this is what I currently think about science. Maybe it's not um, – the most PC thing to say, or maybe it's not the the Nobel Prize winning science of the century, uh, but it really allows us this creativity as students. Um, and I and something I, I think we kind of wanted to discuss was whether or not, for example, we should publish null or negative results. So other journals that are up there aren't publishing null or negative results, but I know at least for me, if negative results were published, it would have saved me tons of experimental time. Um, and perhaps maybe that's kind of another benefit of the journal is that as students, we have a creativity that perhaps other publications don't. It's a great suggestion. And I agree with you. I think that the YJBM has, can self-proclaim this opportunity to publish negative results that could have major impact in science. Um, it's not done enough. There is discussion in, in uh, upper-tier journals about doing this more, that it's necessary. But it hasn't really hit and stuck yet. So I think um, YJBM can be a leader in this regard. And, 
Um, and and high quality science, original science, can be published in in the journal as negative results. Yeah, and kind of the dynamic that happens is. Um in, in the board meetings is our students do get really excited, but I, I'm, we can, Helen and I can only really speak to our own experiences. And I think especially since um, Helen was EIC, I've, in my own time, I've seen the board just become much more creative and passionate about a bunch of different aspects of YJBM. But I'm wondering, historically, has it always been very enthusiastically student-driven, or have there been times more where the vision of YJBM is shaped by maybe the faculty advisors or or the, the office of the dean? I can only go back <laughs> to 2006. Um, and since I got involved, the students have always shaped the the, the the vision and the direction of the Yale Journal. Again, probably in the last five to ten years, they have you all have felt uh, more empowered in a very good way to um, look into new avenues, new directions, uh, new new opportunities. I do suspect, and we probably can. Uh, determine this by going back into history a little bit more, but I do suspect that there was a time years back where faculty um, advisors or faculty editors, if you will, um, were directing the students much more so than now. Now is very little, I can say for sure, is very little. Students are really uh, running the operation. So I think probably there, there was a time when that happened, um, but it's not, not been the case for close to 15 years now. And how close we are to achieving it, I don't know, and I suspect that Jeff is right because the culture has changed certainly over time. But I will say that the history of the school, that was the Yale system of education that I mentioned, had as one of its core principles in creating this learning environment, the idea that we would treat our students as mature, self-directed, highly motivated learners. Another way to say that, and it's advice I got early on when I took this job, when someone came to me and said, yeah, Richard, I'm sure there's a lot of things you'd like to do in the job. Here's my best advice. Try to stay out of the student's way as much as possible. We have great students here. If you cut them loose, they're going to do great things. I think that's the spirit of the Yale system. Yes, our responsibility is to mentor and guide and provide whatever support is needed. Um, So I think those principles have always been there, even as the culture may have shifted over time. So I feel pretty confident about the idea that the concept for this journal was student-run and student-led. And that that create a certain culture around this that defined the relationship between the students and the school and their mentors. Are you saying all the students are very mature? You, you can edit that out. <laughs> Please. Well, it's an aspiration of the school. So if you guys were to be part of the journal in like a student capacity as editors, is there a creative – if we were to set you loose, what would – was there something that you guys would want to start – or be a part of with the journal? I, I think the direction, the current directions are, are terrific. Um, 
there can be more, possibly more creative merging of medicine and biology. Uh, that's something that we talk about repeatedly, that we all strive towards. Um, and there are some obstacles in that regard, um, logistical and otherwise. Um, but I think that would be my, one of my obsessions would be to see that merging at a greater level. And it's a very good time to do that because medicine has become very molecular and there are all sorts of opportunities to think about fundamental mechanisms and applying those to clinical disease. Um, so that would be, uh, there's nothing structural about the journal that I would change. I think the students are doing an amazing job. You guys are doing an amazing job. But that's something that I would strive for a little bit more. Um, how about, so YJBM's most widely um, accessed article on PubMed is how to write your, uh, quote, uh, excuse me, quote, how to write your first research paper, unquote, by Elaine uh, Kalistinova, um, who is affiliated with um, the Yale Graduate Writing Center. And our most highly cited article is, um, quote, isolation and cultivation of Lyme disease spirochetes by, uh, unquote, um, by Alan Barber of uh, University of Texas Health Science Center in uh, San Antonio. So w what would you like, I think, to YJM's broader scientific impact to be, given that these are very two different, two very different um, articles? Um, like in the future, I think, how would you, how do you see YJBM's impact on the, sci the broader scientific community and not just that at Yale? Those are very good examples of the breadth of the journal and how um, the articles appeal to people at very can appeal to people at very different levels and very different parts of their education, training, and career. And I think that should continue. I think that that, that breadth is something that is a strength of the journal. Um, I do feel like you, the student editors, are trying to shape each focus topic issue such that all of these articles at within this breath relate to that focus topic. And that's important and that's that's entirely achievable. Um, but I but I think that everything that's in there, be they perspectives, opinion pieces, editorials, original science, even book reviews, they all appeal to a broad variety of, um, of your audience. And um, I think as time goes on, more people around the country and hopefully the world are recognizing the quality of work in YJBM. So I think the impact is there and the audience is being reached more and more all the time. I have to say when I listen to your question, I think mostly because of my role, I don't focus on what should the content of the journal be, <clears throat> but more that it should continue to provide the opportunity to have the content that the students involved wanted to have. So that the example of publishing negative results reminds me of that, which is if students think that's important, 
this is a chance to do that in a place where you can create the context for what you decide to publish. So that's the experience we want you to have to make those decisions. It reminds me a little bit of the issues we have in the curriculum, <clears throat> which is that there are things we think it's important to teach, and then there are things that students come to us and say, what about this, and why aren't we paying more attention to this, and why aren't we studying, or why aren't you teaching more things about this? An example of that might be issues related to health equity and social justice in the curriculum. So it comes in the curriculum in part because the students have alerted us that we should be paying more attention and that it's important to them and they hope it's important to us too. So then we work with them to create that content in their curricular experience. So I think about the journal in some ways in that way, that you as a board would think about what you're excited about. You and Jeff as your mentor in this would think about how does that make sense in a journal? How does that work? How would it work? And that that's what would define what ends up being published, which I think is what's at the heart of the spirit of the journal, or at least at a school level, why we want it. I, I understand that and totally agree with one caveat, and that is that the students clearly are looking at the most prestigious, high-impact, high-quality journals as a standard mm -hmm. for the YJBM. There's no doubt in my mind. Mm -hmm. Science, Nature, Cell, looking at really high-quality journals. And so it now there's the merging of what you just described, which should always be central to YJBM, that it's what the students, their perspective of what's important and how to assemble that into a scientific journal, but also a high, truly high-impact piece of science, scientific literature um, and how to get there. So it's, it's really the merging of the two. Um, it's, mo it's much more than, and it is truly an educational exercise. It will always be that, but it's become more than that as well. Yeah, I think it gives, at least for us at board meetings, For we're always thinking about, like, what do we want? We know, like, there's all these – there's journal clubs on campus. There's classes we can go to. But, like, what is the science that we're not seeing? What is the science that, as for me, like an immunologist that I want to learn about but I'm not learning about? And not necessarily because there aren't people here but because it's just not currently – there and I think it's a really great opportunity. And now we're even we have more chemists on the board now, um, so we're getting much more perspectives. And I think uh, at least all the board members that I've seen, we're just magnets for information. We're like, you might be a physicist, but you might teach me something. I might teach you something that we can then apply in our research. Um, and I think it really allows for this kind of it kind of becomes a hall of mirrors where you're just looking at everything in completely different perspectives and then one mirror just is contorted enough where you're like, oh, I, this changes my view on what I'm working on. And it's... I think having chemist students who are um, working towards degrees in chemistry is a good example of an area of biology and medicine now, which is chemical biology and therapeutics. And a lot of their input into science in the journal is going to be in that area, right? It's going to be chemical biology and therapeutics. 
And it's phenomenal to have input from students who have expertise in chemistry. Um, this is a great example of directions that the journal is going that is really absolutely current era, state of the art, I would say. To push on that a little bit, I'm a, I'll claim to be a theoretical activist because um, <laughs> I think one of the things that's exciting about YJBM is that as student editors, we have the potential to set the bar for what meets the publication standard. And to, to prod or poke at uh, the CNS journals, Cell, Cell Nature and Science journals, I think one of the exciting things for a student about YJBM, at least what was exciting for me, is that we could maybe define um, – what gets published a little bit. And I'm wondering if that could ever um, cause tension between students wanting to to push the buck a little bit um, and the Yale School of Medicine or the, the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences wanting to, you know, have a, a mentorship or a guidance role. Because to, to a large extent, like, especially with negative results, I think as a student, I'm really excited about that because I have plenty of negative results um, <laughs> that I could theoretically, again, the, the theoretical part share, but there isn't an outlet for, for that kind of work or not at least one that would be worthwhile to pursue. And YJBM could be such an outlet, but maybe that would, you know, counter with, let's say, the, the faculty advisor's vision for the journal. And, and how, how would that dynamic work out, do you think? <laughs> It raises an important point. I, I don't think that it would be uh, problematic or, or seen as um, a negative direction uh, in any way. The faculty at large, I do believe, see this as a creative opportunity for students. And I know I'm using that word a lot, but it's, it's really true. That said... It would be reasonable on some sort of pretty long interval basis, maybe every seven years or, I don't know, maybe a dean term, five years. I'm not really sure. Um, to bring the journal's new concepts directions to some group of faculty leadership to essentially vet it. Um, that did happen some years ago when, when I went to chairs um, through the dean at the school and discussed the direction of the journal. And some productive concepts came, came out of that. So I think that raises a, a possibility of, to, of, of engaging a broader uh, section or segment of the, of the school in the directions that the journal is going. That said, the students and the student editors are always going to have first say. But getting input beyond is, is not a bad idea. Which is an equally valuable part of the educational experiences we hope you'll have. <laughs> so that's part of this process of learning is – and Jeff, I take your point that at the end of the day, you're going to create a journal and you want it to be of high quality and something that everybody's proud of. And so – Part of what we hope will happen here is that if you've set the standard at excellence and you have ideas that may seem new or haven't been tried before, that you use the combined resources of the institution, including mentorship and advice like Jeff is saying, to think about those things 
in a place where you have the time and the support to do it because actually that's your job. Mm -hmm. Be students. Come up with ideas. Ask questions. Challenge things. See what can be worked out together. And so that part of the process I think is where the magic is in education anyway. It's in those conversations about what's possible. Do you guys uh, – do, does anyone have anything else they'd like to, to add to, to, to celebrate? Yeah, I want to add one thing. I'm very proud of this journal, but I take no credit for it. And it's very important for me to say I have the easiest part of this, which is what, to cheerlead for the journal because there's so much to be proud of. But the actual work of doing the journal and making it happen – happens because of our students and because of the generosity of Jeff as an extraordinary faculty mentor. The school's really indebted to Jeff and to all of you for creating this. And not only that, handing off this opportunity, one generation of students to the next, so that so many people can benefit from this. So I'm very grateful for it and want to say thank you to all of you. Well, Richard, you're very kind, um, and really it's all due to the credit of the students, uh, the, the leaders, the, the, uh, the leaders of each year's worth of board students and thinking of pushing the envelope, um, keeping up with the times, new directions. Uh, it's, it's all, it's all um, to the credit of the students. And uh, I, it's actually a privilege for me to, to be involved uh, with it. And I expect that it's going to be successful for, for, for many years to come. Um, thanks to both of you for what you've done uh, with the journal. And thanks for inviting us today. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for coming. Uh, I'd also like to point out if anyone's interested in more detailed history of the YJBM, the Historical Medical Library currently has an exhibit. Um, that will be running through August 16th, 2019, if you're listening to this. Past that, we might have an online version. Um, and with that, it's time to wrap up. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Yale Journal of Biology and Medicine podcast. And join us next month for our podcast series on the biology and medicine of organelles, which will be uh, coming out in conjunction with our September 2019 issue on that topic. And uh, thank you to the Yale School of Medicine for being a home for YJBM in the podcast. And let me personally also say thank you, Dean Belitsky, for overseeing YJBM and to Jeff for always being a, a reasonable and uh, uh, soundboard for all of our ideas to, pr to provide clarity in what we're, what we're really trying to do at YJBM. Um, and thank you to the Yale Broadcast Center for help with recording, editing, and publishing our podcast. Uh, finally, a really big thank you to the YJBM Editorial Board and YJBM's Faculty Advisory Board. Um, I know that Neil and I have been managing editors, EICs, and it's really the editorial board that does so much heavy lifting and puts in hours of work. And it's really incredible to see everyone coming together every two weeks and uh, really creating the future of the board. There's one other thanks we shouldn't forget, and that's the editorial coordinator, um, Kate Woodford, who's been spectacular in her role of assembling and getting uh, each issue through at, uh, at the um, target 
date. Um, she did have, uh, she does have a predecessor, Karen Olson, who was involved with the journal at a time when it was starting to go through some of these iterations, new changes, and she uh, was instrumental in that. Kate has been spectacular in her uh, work product and her collegiality, and, and I think the students feel, if, if, yes. if I'm not misquoting, <laughs> yeah, feel Kate wonderful working with her, and um, we, we do want to thank her as well. The journal would be on very shaky grounds if it wasn't for Kate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's really a pleasure as a student to work with Kate. And for for that and more information on on all of those involved in YJBM and for those involved with our podcast, please visit medicine.yale.edu/yjbm. Be sure to check out our journal by searching Yale Journal of Biology and Medicine at pubmed.com. If you would like to contact us, then please email us at yjbm at yale.edu or tweet to our Twitter handle um, at the YJBM. Uh, and if you enjoyed our podcast, please share it on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts uh, with all your friends and family. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Dean Belitsky. And thanks to all of you for listening uh, to this 90th anniversary celebratory podcast.